From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Welcome to October. We're happy that you made it here with us. Father John Tregilio is in the house. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we've got a number for you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every uh, Monday, the aforementioned, Father John Tregilio. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Is it it autumn at the Mount yet? It's still summer in Birmingham. It's in the 80s here. Yeah, say it's 87 here, but and the stink bugs are out. Oh, uh, it's that time of year. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And the the insects too, probably right. I'm just kidding. Oh, we had um, those uh, <laughs> lantern flies last oh, week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well, you couldn't have made a more gruesome. For those of you watching on Facebook <laughs> and YouTube. You could see the disgust that Father John had on his face when he <laughs> spoke of the of the insects. You know, at least they're insects. We had a uh, the last about half a week or so went outside, and a portion of my lawn was just torn up. Ooh! And then the next morning, another portion was just torn up. Well, last night I caught the culprit red pod. It was an armadillo. <laughs> oh! Yeah. So we got to get an armadillo out of our yard. Probably need to get the grubs out of my yard. That'll get rid of the armadillo. You should but that's... call Father Mitch. He's, he knows how to take <laughs> care of those things. I don't know. They wear a suit of armor. It might be that's a whole different animal, those armadillos, I'm telling you. Uh, Daniel is in Puerto Rico, and he sends an email saying, Does God purposefully place obstacles in your way in order to keep you back from something not part of his will for you? Uh, I wouldn't phrase it that way. He allows things to happen. Obviously, he allows us to use our free will and also the consequences of that free will. And not only consequences if you and I made a bad decision or bad choice, but also if other people made a bad decision and bad choice and the consequences then affect me. He's not a chess player and we're just pawns on this uh, big board. That's the the Greek uh, Zeus uh, theory of, of uh, how God works or the gods and this sort of idea of, of the fates. But from the Judeo-Christian tradition, we certainly believe that God uh, permits things to happen. We call it his permissive will, and then his ordained will, where he directly wants something to happen. So, for instance, we believe that he directly ordained that you and I be created. Um, but there's other things he permits, allows to happen, and 
you know, that whole image of gold being tested in fire, he allows struggles and obstacles because it'll make us a better person. Uh, it'll purify us. It'll make us stronger. But I don't necessarily think he wakes up every day and says, oh, let's give this guy a cough or uh, a flat tire or, uh, you know, Or Father Tregilio is a professor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of my students might think otherwise. <laughs> God bless you, Daniel. We appreciate the phone call. A couple of lines still open for you at 833-288-EWTN. James would like to know how he can explain to a non-Catholic why Catholics ask for Mary's intercession. Can you run that past me again? (laughs) Sure. He wants to know, how can I explain to a Mm non-Catholic why Catholics ask for Mary's intercession? Well, Catholics ask for her intercession because she obviously has a very uh, close rapport with her son. She's the mother. And remember, intercession is not the same as mediation. Uh, There's one mediator between God and man, that's Jesus Christ, because he's both human and divine. He's true God and true man. And yet, even in the Bible, in the the Gospels, we see other people uh, asking Jesus for his help for someone else. They're interceding. And Mary did this at the wedding feast of Cana. She brings to his attention, they ran out of wine, and she's asking for his help. Uh, Likewise, uh, Jairus, for his daughter, or the Roman centurion asking for his servant boy. So we certainly believe that uh, it's by God's uh, choice, his will, that he allows intercession to take place. St. Paul asked for the prayers of the Corinthians and the Ephesians, and Likewise, he promised to pray for them. That's intercession. So Mary's intercession is nothing different than what we see uh, evidenced in the New Testament. And she brings those petitions to Jesus, uh, not out of necessity, but out of God's uh, free choice. And Mark wants to know, is it true that we only have to receive the Eucharist once a year? That's the minimum uh, that's required for a a Catholic. Certainly... um, you don't want to be content with just a minimum. Uh, in centuries ago, people felt themselves so unworthy that uh, they wouldn't go uh, once a year, and that's why the um, the church made that rule. And it's um, it's confession once a year and Holy Communion during the Easter season. Sometimes the people mix those two up, but the precept of the church is that you should receive communion once during the Easter season and at least go to confession once a year. But I wouldn't limit myself just to once for either one of those sacraments. I've got an email from Riley, and it's, it's, uh, it's I think, out of ignorance, it is, it is inappropriately worded. But his email reads, How do we know that Peter was the successor of Christ? He's not the successor of Christ. We never use that title. Um, the Pope is the successor of St. Peter, And Peter, by Jesus' own words in in Matthew's Gospel, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. He calls him Peter. uh, In the the Greek, uh, it's Petros, uh, and the word for rock is Petra. And uh, he makes it clear that it's his church, Jesus' church. And so uh, Peter is um, is not representing Jesus in the sense that he's taken his place. Uh, the Pope is the vicar of Christ. The vicar um, you know, represents, but he doesn't do his own will. It's the will of Christ. So uh, we want to make that very important distinction there. 
So, Natasha has sent us an email, Father. And she says... <laughs> from Spotsylvania? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, it's not from Frostbite Falls either. Um, she wants to know, why is it so hard to be a Catholic? It seems like other religions have it a lot easier than we do. Well, it says in Scripture, to whom much is given, much is expected. And we've been given the whole ball of wax. Uh, we have all seven sacraments. So we have the fullness of grace. We have both sacred scripture and sacred tradition. So we have the fullness of truth, the fullness of revelation. And we have the intercession of the saints and Our Lady. So we've been given the most. We've been given a lot. And so more is expected to whom much is given. Uh, other people from other faith traditions have not don't have all seven sacraments. They only have, say, sacred scripture. They don't have sacred tradition. So less is required of them, and yet, you know, they're missing out. That's why, you know, we should not be content with, well, we have it, they don't, but we want to share that. In the same way, I make the analogy in my class the other day, um, you can be alive on, on life support and have a tube in your arm and getting an IV and being on a respirator, and you're, you're alive, but wouldn't you rather to have life to the full, being able to get out of bed, walk around, chew your own food, and uh, li live a full life? And the same in the spiritual uh, life. You know, we have the fullness. Uh, much more is required of us, but the rewards are certainly much, much greater. Um, and Roy wants to know, can a person receive an indulgence if they are not in a state of grace? You do not get the benefits of the indulgence if you're not in a state of grace. That's one of the conditions, is that you must uh, be in the state of grace, and you need to go to confession uh, at least 20 days before or after the prescribed action or um, uh, the day. You must also receive communion on that day, and you need to pray for uh, the intention of the Holy Father, Hail Mary, Our Father, and the Apostles' Creed. Um, so, yes, being in the state of grace is a, a, a definite requirement. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Bob in Florida, Cheryl in Texas, James in Florida, Veronica in Iowa, Vicki in the great state of Kentucky, and Bill in Pennsylvania. We've got plenty of time for your phone calls just getting started on a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, our old friend John Martinoni introduces you to the major doctrines of the Catholic faith and explains why they are true and shows you how to explain them effectively to our Protestant brothers and sisters and even cafeteria Catholics in ways that will draw them into those truths. Uh, Blue Collar Apologetics um, is uh, his book from EWTN Publishing. 
And uh, in the pages of this book, you'll find effective common sense tactics for defending the faith against atheist attacks, four techniques that will allow you to talk about to anyone about your faith, and much, much more. Blue Collar Apologetics by our good friend John Martinoni, available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. First up today is Bob. He is in Navarre, Florida, listening on the EWTN app. Bob, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, uh, um, Father. I have a question. We had my uh, my mother died about uh, eight years ago. We had her uh, cremated and put in a, in a niche at a cemetery above ground. And we just recently found that uh, there was uh, somebody who didn't know any better actually had some. Uh, jewelry and some vials set aside to give to other family members. And we have an opportunity to put it back in the niche. And we want to do that. Um, can we do that? Or does it have to, do we have to get permission to get the urn opened again and put it in? Or can we put it in the niche with the urn? That's our question. Okay. Um, if this is a Catholic cemetery, I don't think you'll have um, as much difficulty if it's a private cemetery or a public one not related or owned by the, the church, the parish, or the diocese, uh, they may charge you uh, to open up uh, that niche or whatever, columbarium, or many times they call them different things. Um, it's required that they be buried with respect. So uh, rather than you incurring extra cost, um, I would say if you can't open it up without it being unreasonable or if it's you know just um, too expensive or not possible, then... Certainly they can uh, bury them in, in hallowed ground, and uh, that would be taking care of, of it. So uh, you don't necessarily have to put it all back together again. Um, I know some people have asked that question before, and, and the church never obligates us to do something that's um, you know, a, a burden or odious. Thanks, Bob. We appreciate the phone call today. I like that one so much. We'll stay right in the state of Florida. James is a first-time caller in Naples listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. James, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, good afternoon, Father, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a, a, a practice done in our parish for many years uh, during right at the beginning of Lent, around uh, you know, on Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. whereby... Uh, uh, can you hear me okay, Father? Yes, I can. Oh, um, yes, on Ash Wednesday, there's a, a parish mission, and, and usually there are four priests that will stand by the altar, you know, across the altar area. And um, what people do is, on very uh, little slips of paper, write all their sins with a pencil on little slips of paper, wait in line, go up to the priest, hand the paper to the priest, the priest reads the paper, and, and then gives that solution there, doesn't read it out loud. <laughs> he reads it, obviously, <laughs> silently, and then um, hands the paper back, gives that solution, and then the penitent, you know, we would go over to uh, a, a steel bucket, and someone there, um, you, you hold it, and they light it on fire, and then you put the, the slip of paper in the bucket, watching it be completely burned. Um, so that that is a practice that... Um, uh, you know, it has been done for a long time, and it led me to a question. And my question is, in that case, you know, our parish has a half hour for confession on Saturday, and that's it. Why not have, a like, a number you can call? Why couldn't you? Would that be legal canonically if a priest wanted to do that, or is that completely, 
you know, impossible. I mean, in the old days, obviously, they didn't have telephones, but now that we do. So I just wanted your thoughts on, on that practice and also whether such a, uh, a change in, in terms of calling in for confession would be possible. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you called. I'm, I'm sad to hear the, the situation. Um, I would say that that is probably, most likely, invalid. I know that uh, in certain circumstances, if a priest hears a confession of someone who's unable to, um, to speak, um, they can bring someone into the confessional with them. It's a very rare occasion. Uh, if someone needs a translator, uh, that can be done, but it, we do it very, very sparingly because you want to re- maintain the, the absolute confidentiality, the secrecy of, of the seal of confession. Um, doing this, in this, and I've seen this done, where people write their sins on a piece of paper, hand it to the priest, and then they burn it. Um, the confession, for it to be valid, and certainly for it to be licit, it needs to be auricular. Uh, that means that it's spoken. That was one of the things um, you know, that, that constitute the sacrament, that you express your sins. Writing on a piece of paper, um, although it's certainly up front and, and secret and they're going to burn it, um, I think you know, you'd have to check with the Vatican on, 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 on absolute whether it's, uh, it could be done, but I, I would say I would avoid it like the plague. Um, I was at a few places where they had people just come up and say, mention one sin. No, you must mention all known mortal sins not previously confessed uh, to the priest. You can't just mention one. Uh, writing it down on a piece of paper, uh, okay, they're sharing with the priest. That would certainly be uh, essential that the priest know what the sins are for him to absolve. I just don't like the whole setup because um, what if all, all the papers aren't burned? Um, what if the people don't write legibly? Uh, there's just too much going on there. Now, with electronic, um, even though we didn't have cell phones or the Internet or texting, um, when uh, the telephone was invented, by the way, um, a questionnaire or a dubium went to Rome. Could priests absolve over the phone? Could they absolve sins over the wireless? Because, um, you, you know, Marconi invented the, the, the radio and he put a radio station at the Vatican. And the Holy See said, no, uh, you need to be in, in personal proximity between the penitent and the, con- and the, uh, and the priest here in the confession. And so you can't do it by text. You can't do it by phone. Um, now, I know some confessionals do have a little phone, but the person's still in there. The priest can still hear. It's for the advantage of the penitent that they have that phone in the confessional. Uh, but the priest still hears them verbally out loud. Um, but definitely you can't do it by text. You can't do it by fax. can't do it by email. Um, and that's why I would avoid the letter business because, you know, someone might be tempted to, how long do they wait before they show it to the priest, you know? So I would avoid that completely, totally. And uh, I'm wondering if the diocese even knows that that kind of thing's going on. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Veronica, another first-time caller in Council Bluffs, Iowa, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Veronica, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hi, Father. I have Hi. a question about yes. Hi. I have a question about yesterday's gospel. I went to my usual church. And my daughter went to her usual church. We were talking about the sermons 
in the afternoon, and my priest commented that the son who did not agree with his father and refused to go out to the vineyard, but did later, was correct because he did what was asked of him. It was kind of like he repented, and so he did what was right. The other priest in my daughter's church said that according to Jewish custom, the son who said yes, but did not go out to the vineyard later, was the right son because he showed respect to his father in public, did not embarrass his father by saying no. And so he was really right. And I'm wondering, okay, we have polar opposites here. <laughs> What's the right interpretation? <laughs> yes, uh, that I have to say, that's, that's a new one on me. Um, it's Many of the commentators uh, propose that... Um, Jesus is making the distinction between um, the Jews and the Gentiles uh, at, at the time of, of our Lord uh, being here on earth, and that uh, uh, many of the Jewish leaders, you know, uh, say yes, but weren't, uh, weren't doing it. And then the Gentiles, who had said no up to that, you know, they, they, were not, they did not have the Old Covenant. Now later, they're repenting and embracing uh, the Messiah. But uh, the, the homily I gave myself uh, in, in a parish uh, in my diocese was that the one uh, example that was left out, the, uh, the son who would say yes and then did what he was asked to do, uh, that's the goal that we should all have, that we say yes and then we do yes. Um, the son who says no, yes, he's being disrespectful, but he reconsiders, uh, he repents, and he does. And this is what St. James is talking about, you know. It's not by faith alone, but faith with works. So I can say, Lord, Lord, as it says in the passage, but if we don't do the will of God, then we're not really, you know, our, our words are shallow. So I would not say in any way, shape, or form, it's better to, to say yes and then not to do it. Now, obviously you could have two scenarios going on. A person says yes and they don't do it because they forgot, then it's laziness. They say yes, and they don't do it because they never intended to do it. They're just placating or fooling someone. Uh, that's even worse. But um, of the two that Jesus gave, the option, I think, is quite clear. It's better if you say um, no, but then you change your mind and you end up doing what you're supposed to be doing. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Uh, plenty of time for your calls. A couple of open phone lines for you. <clears throat> Marshall writes in, in Scripture it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. How do Catholics interpret that? Well, many are called, few are chosen. Uh, it's not that God, it's not the, the predestination that um, uh, John Calvin proposed that God already decided who's going to heaven and hell, and you know our our response is, is inconsequential. Um, but the fact that many are called that everybody, in a sense, is called to holiness. That was, I, in fact, I just mentioned that in my class today on Lumen Gentium. There's a universal call to holiness. We're all called to be great saints. Mother Angelica used to say, "Don't miss the opportunity." So many, or if not all, are called, but only few respond. Uh, it's like Saint Augustine would say. Uh, everyone's given 
sufficient grace, but it's efficacious only for those who willingly, freely, and deliberately cooperate with it. So it's not like a roll of the dice. It's not just arbitrary, nor is it something that is, uh, you know, absolute predestined like with um, Calvin, but uh, it's responding to what everyone's been given. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Alexis in Austin, Texas, Judy in Whittier, California, and we've got plenty of time for your calls. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Monday with Father Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Big congratulations going out to two members of the EWTN radio family, Our Lady of Perpetual Help Radio in Essex Junction, Vermont, is celebrating their sixth year with EWTN radio. And Our Lady of Mount Carmel Radio in Pittsburgh, Kansas, home of the Pitt State Gorillas, marks nine years as an EWTN affiliate. Congratulations to Donna McSoley who I, it seems like it was yesterday, I was on the phone with Donna McSoley. She was telling me, I can't do this, I can't do this. Well, six years later, she's doing it. And Father Bob McElway in Kansas, uh, congratulations to both of you from all of our friends here, all of your friends here, rather, at EWTN. Back to the phones we go. Vicki is next up. She is in Louisville, Kentucky, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Vicki, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hi. I would like to know why pray to Mary and the saints, even though there's nothing wrong with that, when we can pray to Jesus, who is supreme. Okay, that's a logical question. Um I give the best example would be if someone, let's say you're going to have your appendix out uh, tomorrow, and you go to a family member or friend and say, could you pray for me? Could you pray to Jesus for me that I get better or that this surgery be successful? And the person says you, no, you go right directly to Jesus. You don't need me. They would be correct, but they would also be rude. Um, intercession does not uh, diminish mediation because the intercessors go into the mediator. So when we go to Mary or the saints, we're barely doing the same thing we do here on earth. I know many, many non-Catholic Christian churches have a, a prayer chain, which is a wonderful idea that everybody gets on board, everybody prays for that person, and who are they praying to? Jesus. Who are they praying for? Not themselves, but for the person who's in need of assistance. So if I can do that with someone here on earth and not be violating anything, I can certainly do it with the saints in heaven, because all the more so... They don't have any worries or cares or distractions like we do. So intercessory prayer is present, like I said, in the in the Bible, and we do it. We do it here on earth uh, among ourselves. So again, it's in many intercessors, the one mediator, no problem between the two. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. Still time for your calls. Uh, on the back half of the program here. Next up is Alexis. She is a first-time caller in Austin, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Alexis, you're on with Father Tregilio. Hi, Father. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I have a question. So I'm going through my RCIA right now, and I grew up Jehovah's Witness. Um, so I have a lot of undoing, I would say, with some of my beliefs or just things that were kind of ingrained in me. So mm -hmm. I wanted to know if God created us 
you know, to be perfect with Adam and Eve, and then there was the fall and everything. Why would he want us to go to heaven, you know, say if we're, we're righteous and we're worthy and everything, versus us being born in a new earth, in the new, you know, what they call the paradise. I'm sure you're familiar with their doctrine and their teaching. Okay, so um, I, I, I didn't catch the whole, there was a little cutoff there. Um, oh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. So why, if God created us and to be perfect and to be here on earth, why would he want us to go to heaven versus going uh, to, like, uh, say, a new perfect earth? Okay, well, that, that, that's, that's not a bad question to ask. Um, we were made for heaven. Uh, so even Adam and Eve, although they they lived in the Garden of Paradise, uh, it was paradise, but it wasn't heaven. Because once you're in heaven, you can't get out. Uh, you're in possession of the of the beatific vision. You see God face to face. You have the uh, the supreme good, the summa muonum. You're in, uh, you're seeing uh, truth as it is. Uh, so Adam and Eve were not created in heaven any more than the angels were. Uh, the angels, like Michael, Raphael, Gabriel. Uh, we just celebrated their feast day uh, a day or two ago. Um, they and all the good angels, the two-thirds of the good angels, uh, they did good, and uh, they were faithful. They got to heaven. Uh, Lucifer and the one-third who went bad, uh, they weren't cast out of heaven. They were cast out of what was called the heavens, meaning just not here on earth. Um, so even the angels were put to a test before they could go to heaven, and Adam and Eve were put to a test. And so as nice as paradise was, it's not um, the, it's not the same as heaven. Heaven is eternal. Uh, it's infinite. Uh, it's, you know, eye has not seen nor has ear heard what is, or has it entered into the mind of man what God has in store for us. So um, the Garden of Paradise, while very nice, while very happy, was limited. Um, it didn't have the fullness uh, as does heaven. So... Uh, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, they still would have needed at some point to get to heaven. And here, you and I are here on earth, we're not necessarily made to be perfect, but to be perfected. Uh, that means that we can always do better and be better. Does that help? Yeah, so you would say that the, the paradise was not the end-all, be-all, that, there, that God's intention wasn't for that to be the end. Anyway. Exactly, yes. Uh, paradise was certainly a better option than what we have now uh, we live in a you know f f with fallen nature. Our, that's why we have floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and viruses and everything because we're living in an imperfect world. But even if we had all been in the Garden of Paradise, it would have been happy. There would be no disease, no death, but it wouldn't be heaven. Uh, so heaven right. is the the place par excellence. Next stop for us is Whittier, California. Judy is a first-time caller watching us today on YouTube. Judy, you're on with Father Trujillo. Uh, yes, good afternoon, Father. I'm Hi. Glad, thank you for taking my call. Hi. I'm calling because my uh, I sent a prayer uh, about the angels today because today is the feast day of our guardian angels. And, uh, and she said not to pray to angels, but to pray directly to God. But it says in the Revelation, in the book of Revelation, 22, verse 8 to 9, that it says, uh, don't pray to the, the, the angel. said, don't. I am a fellow servant. 
of yours worship God. So I'm confused. Okay, um, I, I understand what the, the situation is here. When the angels are saying we're not, they're not to be adored or worshipped any more than remember when um, Paul and Barnabas, uh, you know, they wanted to make them into gods and you know offer them sacrifice, and they said, "We well, no, we're just men, okay?" But men and angels can certainly intercede for us. So asking for their prayers, uh, petitionary prayer, is not the same as latria or worship prayer. We can only worship God. Uh, we can only adore God. That's the first commandment. But we could ask each other for prayers as petitionary prayer. Certainly, uh, if I've done something wrong to someone, I could ask God for forgiveness, and I should ask the person I offended for their forgiveness. That's that's allowed. Um, so uh, contrition, uh, petition, adoration is only for for God himself. Okay, Thanksgiving, I'd be grateful, obviously, to God first, but also grateful for what people have done for me. So the only type of prayer that's restricted to God alone is adoration and worship, because that's the first commandment, no other gods. And yet, we certainly can ask each other for help, and we can ask the angels. We just don't want to adore or worship them or put them at the equal level as God. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Still time for your calls and a couple of open lines for you here on Open Line Monday. John is in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Iowa Catholic Radio. John, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. First of all, thank you very much, Father Father John, for all your great uh, blitzes on the Video, EWTN. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, question, quick question. If somebody dies with a mortal sin in their soul, and they they haven't had the opportunity to go to confession with the priest, uh, but they but in their daily prayers, they ask God for forgiveness. Forgiveness. What most like? What's the result? What's the result? Well, uh, that's a good question, and you know, we just, we just recently talked to that over to our uh, deacons who are, uh, God willing, about to become priests at the end of this year. Um, a Catholic uh, must go to a priest to have their mortal sins uh, remitted through the sacrament of penance. If, however, it's through no fault of their own, they can't get to the priest, um, let's say it's illness or weather or uh, anything like that, or they're just physically unable to get to a priest, and they're in preclomortis, in danger of death, then they can make what we call as a perfect act of contrition. Uh, it's only viable if the person is incapable of getting to a priest. Not that it's, you know, they're just lazy and they don't want to go, but it's morally or physically impossible uh, to get to a priest in time. Then they make a perfect act of contrition. The perfect act of contrition is basically, um, I fear, uh, not the pains of hell, but I, 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 um, I'm sorry for my sins because they offend God. Uh, that's perfect contrition. Imperfect is I'm afraid of the punishment I'll receive in the afterlife. That's sufficient to go to confession, but for it to be perfect contrition and to be able to be absolved from my mortal sins and I couldn't get to a priest, I need to have perfect contrition where my sorrow is because I offended the Lord who's been too who's been so good to me. Um, that That is where it can work. 
um, but we don't want people to see it as of of equal viable options. And well, if I can't go to confession, or you know, at an inconvenient time, uh, no, that's not the case. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's our toll free number. Virginia's watching on Facebook Live today, Father, and she says we had a tractor willed to us by a man when he passed when he passed away. He was a non-Catholic of questionable morals. We are wanting to have a crucifix as well as a St. Isidore, Guardian Angel, and St. Michael medals placed in the tractor to be sure this man's evil does not follow his former possession. Is this against Catholic teaching, and how is this not leading toward what some might call a superstition? Well, the use of, of sacramentals like holy water, medals, like miraculous medal, um, it'd be superstitious... Um, if someone thinks that the metals and the holy water themselves uh, have powers within them, or like good luck charms. Whereas if they're used in faith, it's like, um, you know, I know Mother Teresa of Calcutta, when she was here in the United States, she was throwing miraculous metals uh, outside abortion clinics, praying that they would close uh, peacefully, not, not violently. I think uh, there was one case where an abortion clinic in New York did um, close, <laughs> Uh, it was the middle of the night, and some there was a water main break. Nobody got hurt, uh, but uh, <laughs> the thing is, when you use these things, especially in confronting uh, evil spirits, uh, it's not magic or superstition, but they must be used in good faith. That it's not the object themselves; it's the power of God behind it. And um, I know, like some of my uh, Italian relatives, you know, they'll bury a statue of Saint Joseph. If it's done in faith, then there's nothing wrong with it. But if you think just burying a statue is going to get you a better price or uh, that it has some you know, magical powers, then that's wrong. Um, but using sacramentals properly uh, is something that I say is a definite good. And the evil one, you know, he is thwarted, he is uh, turned away uh, by sacramentals when they are used properly. That's why some of these bizarre movies, they've got people... Like I think it was a Dracula movie, and Van Helsing went into a Catholic church and stole the holy water and took all these things. That, well, you know, stealing is not going to be a good thing. Um, James is another first-time caller in Ashland, Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. James, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. The question I have is... Uh, a person that's hooked on drugs, essentially a drug addict, or a person that's uh, hooked on alcohol, essentially an alcoholic, do they commit a sin, and are they committing a mortal sin? And uh, I'm, especially with alcohol, I think the contemporary thinking is that alcoholism is, is a disease. But at the same time, St. Paul, and here I'm kind of paraphrasing that uh, people that are engaged in drunkenness are, are not going to essentially go to heaven or inherit the kingdom of God. So what what's the reality of that situation? Yes, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, any addiction, whether it's um, alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, uh, you, you name it, um, gambling, um, every addiction starts to erode, but it never eradicates culpability. So the more addicted I am to some behavior, uh, I'm, my freedom starts to, to lessen, 
but it's never destroyed because as long as I engage my free will and my intellect, then it's a human act and uh, um, it has morality involved in it. Um, so we, someone who's addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography, um, it's going to be difficult for them to stop. Yet there's still free will involved, and although it's going to be more of a struggle for them to say no to it, uh, they're still human beings. So they don't get a you know get out of jail free card. But we do understand, as you rightly point out, that addictive behavior becomes more and more difficult to stop. Uh, but as long as the person still has the use of reason and they still have their free will, um, you know there's sinfulness uh, present there. It may not be mortal sin, uh, depending on how much freedom, uh, you know, is is you know missing there. But uh, definitely, that's why we want people to seek to be healed, uh, seek treatment, uh, to to uh, look for sobriety and to be sober in all these areas. But we don't want to give them a free pass and say, "Well, you can't help it." Yes, you can. You may need Alcoholics Anonymous. You may need uh, to go to some of these um, uh, addiction. Uh, support groups so it, it's a it's both things it's like pope benedict said it's both and not either or 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number be sure to check out fire on earth a great way to start your day monday through friday mornings at five fifteen a.m <laughs> eastern time Peter Herbeck provides a compelling look at the new evangelization through inspiring teachings, interviews, and testimonies. Peter's insights will help Catholics acquire the tools they need to do their part in the new evangelization. Fire on Earth with Peter Herbeck, 5.15 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday on EWTN Radio. Next up is Joan, another first-time caller in the great state of Michigan, listening on Holy Family Radio. Joan, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Yes, thank you, Father, for this great program. Um, my question is, oftentimes in reading the lives of the martyrs, it has occurred to me to wonder about those who may say fear of being eaten by lions or any other the many tortures that people have invented over the centuries, if they may have condescended to whatever the threat was, um, in spite of all the good they may have done in their life, would that be all forgotten and they'd go to hell? And also, what about a, just in this day and age, say a person had lived a good Catholic life, raised their children in the faith, and been good, devout Catholics, and then toward the end of their life, for any number of reasons, decided to join a different church. What would be their fate? Okay. Um, that's a good question, too, because uh, it's not like you store up um, bonus points or brownie points, as we used to be told that when we were uh, in Catholic grade school. Um, you could live a whole life of virtue and holiness, and yet at the very end, go bad or turn bad. That's why even Mother Teresa of Calcutta, a uh, very saintly holy woman, she was not a saint until she died, and she had to die in the state of grace in order to, uh, to get into heaven. Um, that being the case, the probability is is very low if someone's lived a good holy life all their life or most of their life that they would turn bad at the end but it is theoretically possible that's why we can't rest on our laurels and say well I had 5,000 uh, bad days and uh, 5,001 good days therefore you know is it a number game no um, we want people to be good and everyone has a potential of repenting that's why someone who's been bad their whole life like the good thief 
uh, he repents at the very end. That's why the church never says with with uh, uh, metaphysical or moral certitude any particular person's in hell because theoretically it's possible that person just before they lost consciousness, just before they died, repented. They would obviously have to spend a long time in purgatory. But the worst of the worst can repent. And likewise, the holiest of holies can theoretically go bad at the end. That's why I cannot just say, well, my bank account is, uh, you know, I got more good than I have bad. I have to struggle every day and act as if every day might be my last day in a good sense. That if I was called today by God to, to uh, particular judgment, uh, am I in the state of grace? Have, have, do I have regrets, uh, unfinished business, so to speak? So, uh, you know, we, we can't judge it from an earthly standpoint where say, well, he was more good than he was bad. Um, you must die in the state of grace. You die uh, in mortal sin. Mortal means exactly that. You're, you're dead in the life of grace. And without uh, supernatural sanctifying grace, you can't get to heaven. So, uh, like I said, it's less likely that you would if you've been living a good life, but you can't just skate your last few years or days. You have to every day struggle with being good and doing good. You know, I find Joan's question is really interesting to me, Father, because my wife, Jeanette, likes to tell the story of when she was a little girl at St. Robert Bellarmine Catholic School in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She said she was always inspired by the sisters when they would tell stories of the martyrs. And she said, I, she, said she remembers praying to the Lord saying, Lord, I want to be a martyr just like St. Isaac jokes. But if, I, <laughs> but if I could keep my fingernails, that would be great. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Could probably squeeze in one more phone call at 833-288-3986. Liz is in Manila in the Philippines watching on YouTube, and she says, What can we do to help our departed loved ones get to heaven? What kind of prayers or acts can help? Okay. Um, I, I didn't catch the whole thing. My speakers are not well, well today. Um, it said, uh, Liz is in Manila, and she says, what can we do to help our departed loved ones get to heaven? What kind of prayers or acts can we do? Okay, um, acts, there's not much acts you can do, but you certainly can offer prayers for the deceased, because if they are in purgatory, our prayers uh, can and do help. We just don't know to what extent. Uh, it's not like a, a spiritual prison where we're shaving time off their sentence, as some people uh, wrongly interpret it, but it's a state of purification, and their purification can be made uh, easier or helpful by our prayers. So you can pray a rosary from the Blessed Sacrament. You can go on a pilgrimage. Um, you can do works of mercy, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Um, you can do mortifications, very, very modest ones, with the approval and sanction of your confessor or spiritual director. I wouldn't want people doing it on their own because they could tend to be a little bit too overzealous and then they either uh, crash and burn and get discouraged or if they succeed, uh, they get in fat head and then their pride runs amok. Um, but yes, you can do certain things, but prayers are always the best. So I, would, I always ask people to do a little bit of both and have masses offered for your deceased relatives and friends. I, as a, when I was a pastor for 16 years, I was very saddened by the fact that so many Catholics um, were not having masses offered for their deceased loved ones as they had in the past. 
they just presumed everybody was going to heaven. And part of that's from some of my colleagues who canonize everybody at a funeral. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We hope and pray that they're in heaven or on their way to heaven. But if you presume they're already there, um, you know, that's why sometimes, you know, some you're people are depriving have, them of prayers, too. Exactly. You're, hold, you're holding them back. And then, you know, they're going to be looking for you in the next life <laughs> saying, you know, thanks for forgetting me. Uh, Heather wants to know, why is John's reference to the Eucharist in chapter 6 disregarded by most Protestants? I don't know. (laughs) Because it's very clear, he says, you must eat my flesh. You must drink my my blood. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. He says it several times, and then... uh, Even after they started walking away. Yeah, he didn't say, oh, wait a minute, you you, you took me out of context, or... Uh, you, you misunderstood. And then when he turns to his disciples, he doesn't say, boy, did they get that wrong? He says, and what about you? Now, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You are the words of everlasting life. That doesn't mean that Peter understood transubstantiation at that moment. <laughs> it meant he trusted completely in the mystery he didn't fully understand. I think a better question is, why do so many Catholics disregard that passage? That is even more... Um, Important and sadly more crucial that there are so many Catholics who uh, who don't. I mean, you have to take John's uh, a discourse on on the Holy Eucharist in Chapter Six of John's Gospel, and then connect the dots with the Last Supper in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because when he says, "This is my body, this is my blood," then we understand that we can eat his flesh and drink his blood because it looks like and tastes like bread and wine, but what it really is is Jesus's body and blood. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Absolutely. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, Ephilius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for helping us kick off another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Tomorrow, Father Wade Menezes is in the house talking faith, family, and fellowship. Father Mitch is here on Wednesday. On Thursday, we welcome Dominican Father Brian Milady. And on Friday, we will have our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until we get together tomorrow with Father Wade, God bless.